Well, what a privilege. Uh, what an opportunity this morning to, to sing truth together. I hope you know that. As we pick songs to sing, we're, we're singing truth. Uh, not just things that make us feel good or affect our emotions, but we're starting with, with truth. Because, because the reality is that if we sing truth, like that it's his breath that fills up our lungs, that there's blessing in the battle. Some of the things we just sang, as we sing truth and declare that out, that, that he actually hears our voice, those truths, those amazing truths, that that affects our, our heart, that affects our, our hands. It does stir up emotion. It does stir up affection. It does stir up action for God because we're singing truth, and we get that opportunity every week, Every Sunday, and as we sang, I just thought about that, that we are singing and declaring truth. I hope that you sing, not because you have an amazing voice or are trying out for the voice, but you just want to cry out to God because he's filled your lungs with breath, that every Sunday we have that opportunity and that we have the opportunity to, to sing it, but also look at it and study it and, and come around it and reorient our lives around the truth of God. And you need to know that's what we do this morning, that we don't do this. We don't walk in here this morning and leave everything we're thinking about and every, everything we've done this week at the door. Maybe you've heard that if you've been in church for a little bit of, hey, just, just leave all that stuff at the door and come in and worship Jesus. And, and that's just couldn't be further from the truth. Why? Because this Bible, God's truth that we just sang about, that we're going to read about, it intersects what you did this week. If we set it aside, it will never penetrate our hearts and our minds and our lives and our sin and our sickness and our strife. And so, listen, whatever you experience this week, whatever you are thinking in this room this morning, bring it all the way in and lay it before God's word and allow his truth to intersect your reality. Allow his truth to align your, your heart, your heart that has been pulled and 50 different directions, even this week, to be stirred towards lesser gods and lesser things. Your, your mind that thinks about so many things and what you got to do this week and what you're going to do today, that, to have your mind renewed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, to be awakened to what actually matters and what you should think about and how you should view life. That that's the opportunity before us this morning, to have our, our information, our inclination, our transformation changed by, by Jesus Christ as we look at his truth. I, I say that because sometimes I think we miss this moment, don't we? Don't miss this moment to sing God's truth, to declare God's truth, to study God's truth, and to lay your life before wherever you are this morning. And, and so that's, that's our goal uh, as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, this series that we're in, this broad series, the Sermon on the Mount, where we get to hear truth from the source. We get to hear directly from Jesus. This is Jesus' sermon, probably the most popular sermon in all of the world that Jesus gave over the course of three chapters, 107 verses, this brilliant, extensive teaching that's all about the kingdom. And what's amazing about this, and we've said this throughout the series, is we get it straight from the source, right? We get the kingdom from the king. We get Christianity from Christ. And so listen, if you're not a believer... If you're new to this church thing, we're so glad that you've joined us because you're going to get to hear what Jesus actually says about our faith. And so maybe you've said things before like, man, I don't like Jesus. I'm not sure about the Bible. Well, you're going to get to hear Jesus talk about the Bible. 
this morning as we dig in and take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, We first talked about in this sermon the blessed life under the kingdom of God. The kingdom you're going to see over and over and over 31 times in the book of Matthew. We see kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. It's life under the rule and reign of God. So first we talked about the blessed life. These eight beatitudes we talked about. It's not not Barnes and Noble blessed. It's not hashtag blessed. Jesus is talking about a different blessed life. If you missed that, go online, listen to that, tap into the iTunes podcast, and you can hear and catch up on that. But that's the blessed life under the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. Last week, we started the connected life, and we talked about relationships, and specifically last week, how we relate to the world, that we should be salt and light and, and connected to the world. And what does the connected life look like under this banner of the kingdom? And what we're going to do today is we're going to start to dive into specific relationships and specific ways we interact with people like anger and lust and marriage and oaths and retribution and who we should really love and and not love. And so we're going to talk about all these things that are all about relationships, but today's going to set the stage for that. Today's going to show us how the Bible intersects our relationships. And Jesus is going to frame up everything he's about to say over the next few weeks. So we have to to listen to this, get this, because really some commentators have called this the interpretive key to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And so no pressure, but we need to get this, right? And so let's pray and ask God to, to move in this moment in our lives as we look at the connected life and look at the Bible. And that's what Jesus talks about. He talks about, if you look at it and you heard Tara, he talks about the law, The prophets, what he's talking about there is the Old Testament. Uh, And you need to know, this is their Bible. And so in this day, this context, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, that was this, right? And so when they think about the law, they're thinking about their Bible and what it all says. And so we need to talk about the law. And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to ask two questions. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first question is this, how does Jesus fulfill the law? How does Jesus fulfill the law? Second question, how do we follow the law? And we're going to explain all that that means as we get into it and we see Jesus talk about this. But if you look at verse 17, do that with me. Jesus starts off with, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, as we think of the law, we typically don't think of the Bible, right? Because we have the New Testament, the New Covenant as well, the second half of your Bible. And so we think of the law, we think of what? The Ten Commandments, right? We think of the Old Testament and just some parts that maybe apply to us today, but maybe not because we're not under law, we're under grace. And and a lot of you, maybe you've had these thoughts or just heard these things, or maybe at least some of you have watched the movie, right? Charlton Heston, Christian Bale, Depending on when you grew up and your taste in movies, I would recommend Charlton Heston, just personally, myself. Uh, but some of us, that's kind of what we know about the law. Like, it was written a long time ago, and it's hard to understand, and it was so condemning. And Jesus is going to broaden our horizons when it comes to the law. And he's going to say, I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. You see, you have to put yourself in this context. It wasn't just Ten Commandments. It wasn't just 613 commandments, which is encompassing all the laws in the Old Testament. It wasn't just that, that the law and the prophets was a story that weaved itself in and out. Commandments. And so you see that play out in the story of the Israelites. 
and their lives, and God would give them commandments and things to protect them and things to abide by. And if they didn't, there would be pain. And we get to see the Israelites experience pain after pain after pain. It was a story woven in with commandments. And it wasn't just a story. They lived the story. It's a story for us, right? We get to read about it and be like, why didn't they just, don't, don't make a calf out of gold? He just said, like, we get to read it as a story. They lived it as their life. And that's what the law was for them. It was their, their life. That many people in this audience not only would have read the law, but memorized it. Not only memorized it, but centered everything they did around it. And so their weekend, the Sabbath, what are we going to do on the weekend? Well, what does the Sabbath say? What does the law say about the Sabbath? What are we going to eat? Where are we, we going to go eat today, guys? What, well, what does the law say? What's clean and unclean? Right? What are we going to think about and how should we think about things? And, and it was all interpreted by the law that the law was for them the way of life. And so it was a big deal as we enter into this context and this audience as Jesus preaches about the law. But here's why he says, don't think. Do you see that in verse 18? Or verse 17, rather? He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Now, why does he say that? Well, Jesus is a good preacher. That's why he says that in short. But Jesus knew what his audience probably would be thinking. That he's, I don't know how many minutes into a sermon at this point talking about the blessed life and what it means to be blessed. Everybody would have been interested in that. And he's given all these things, and he hasn't mentioned the law once. Right? So if you've been here over the last few weeks, we haven't talked about the law. We haven't talked about their Bible once. But we've talked about the blessed life. Jesus is preaching this eloquent sermon, haven't talked about the law once, and they had to have been thinking, the law is our way of life. It defines everything we do and what we don't do. And you haven't mentioned the law once. Maybe you don't believe the law. Maybe you've come to tear down or abolish the law. And Jesus knows his audience so well, so he begins to draw that out. You're probably thinking, I've come to abolish the law. Let's just get that out of the way right now. I haven't come to abolish it. I have come to fulfill it. It would be like me, 20 minutes into a sermon, not bringing up the Bible at all. And some of you might be thinking, like, did we change our name? Because... I thought it was Phoenix Bible Church. Like, is there something else we're going off now? Like, why hasn't he talked about the Bible? That Jesus' audience would have thought similarly. And listen, by the way, if you ever think that, raise your hand. You can interrupt me. Just raise your hand. Be like, what? When are we going to get to this, right? Because this is the power of God unto salvation. We need to preach this every week. And so just like you would be thinking that, his audience is thinking that, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Let's get it straight. I have come to fulfill all of the law. And so what does that look like? We're going to see, first of all, it looks like that he's come to fulfill the clarity and example of the law. Clarity. That Jesus explains the full meaning and intent behind the law. There's 613 laws, lots of them. It can be confusing. And so Jesus comes along. He is the word of God in flesh. He was there when the law was created and enacted, and he comes along to explain it. And so what we're going to go through over the next several weeks is, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, even one who is angry with a brother, 
You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. That's in the law. But I say to you that even if you uh, lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And Jesus is going to explain the full meaning, the intent behind the law. Because he is God in the flesh. He came up with the law. And so he's going to explain to it in his grace what the law actually means. But he doesn't just talk about the law. He goes on to live out the law with his life. And so he loves, he serves, he worships, he interacts with other people in relationships. And he shows us what the meaning of the law is all about by the way that he lives, by the way that he talks, by the way that he helps people. And so Jesus fulfills the law by bringing clarity and by bringing an example. And it's not just some of the law. Look at verse 18. He says this, for truly I say to you, that's basically for real. Y'all listen up, okay? Modern equivalent right there. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one Iota is, I think, technically the way you're supposed to say it. That just kind of sounds weird. I don't know about you, but I say iota, whatever you want to say. Iota, iota. Not one of these iotas or dots will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. Here's what that means. You just look at the law, the whole of it, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Jesus is saying not one punctuation mark we're going to leave out. No, it's all going to be accomplished. You see, here's the misnomer that a lot of us have as Christians, is that you have grace and you have law. You have love and then you have judgment. You have New Testament and then you have Old Testament. And maybe they don't like each other. But what Jesus is going to say is, no, we're friends, right? Me and the law, like, we hang out together. Like, we get to know one another we, we correspond with one another. We're not in conflict one another, with one another. We're in communion, in covenant with one another, that they work together perfectly, that he enacts all of the law, accomplishes all of the law on our behalf. And so how does Jesus fulfill the law? It's clarity and example. It's demands and deliverance. That's what's next. So it's not only clarity and example, it's demands and deliverance. That if if you had people in that day, they would have looked at the law as a crushing weight. Again, just read the Old Testament. You see over and over that people see the high standards of the law, and then they go the other way. They, They maybe meet it for a little bit, for a few chapters in our Bible, but then they fail to meet it. So there are demands of the law, holiness, righteousness, that God gives us. And what Jesus does when he fulfills the law is he fulfills those demands with his perfect life. But he doesn't just fulfill them with his perfect life. He fulfills them with his sufficient death. Because just like the Israelites broke the law, you and I break the law. I was talking with my kids the other night, and I was just trying to explain to them forgiveness from a passage we were looking at in Romans. And I asked my my son and daughter, I was like, do you guys ever break the law? Because that's what it says. Uh, It says, blessed are those, Romans 4, I believe, blessed are those whose lawless acts have been forgiven. And I was like, have you guys ever broken the law? And my son said, no. (laughs) And my daughter was like, yes. Like, you should, the right answer is yes, Ashwin. Like, you you broke the law, and she started giving him examples as a big sister. Don't you just love that, right? And so we've all broken the law. And I said to them, like, I've broken the law. We all have broken the law. And so... Just like the Israelites in the Old Testament broke the law, you and I break the law. And so Jesus comes along and fulfills the law, the demands of perfection on our behalf. 
And then all the times that we had our lawless acts, all the times that we went our own way, that we deserved death because we broke the God's law, God's perfect law, and we deserve death, that Jesus doesn't just live the perfect life, he dies a sufficient death to deliver us from the demands of the law. And so Jesus fulfills all of the law. He accomplishes all of the law. So the law is not bad, right? The law leads us to Jesus as we look at Jesus fulfilling the law. So that's the first question. The second question is, well, how do we follow it? How do we engage with the law now? Have you ever asked that? Like, what parts of the law do we engage with? But what parts of the law are we not under anymore? And how are we under grace? And how do we just follow Jesus and not just law? We're going to answer some of those questions as we get into this. Look at verse 19. See what Jesus says. He says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So how do we follow the law? He, he says it right there. Look at the text with me. He says, but whoever does them and teaches them. Whoever keeps them and teaches them. All right, so you need to be thinking about our head and our hands. And so is it good to know the law? Is it good to read your Old Testament? Is it good? Yeah, good answer, right? Uh, and so this year alone, we have taught through some of the Old Testament. We went through the book of Nehemiah, that's Old Testament. We went through a series right after that uh, on rest and the Sabbath, Old Testament. Uh, maybe some of you came here and you were like, is this an Old Testament church? Because we did it back to back to back. Even in the summer, uh, we did a, a series on how to understand the Old Testament. We did a series called Broken People, Big God, where many of the characters we looked at were in the Old Testament. So it's good to teach and it's good to do what it says in the Old Testament, right? Jesus says that himself. And so that's one way we follow the law. As we look at that, it gets a little dicey, right? It gets a little confusing. And if you actually read some of those laws, you'll understand why, right? Go back and read them. But overall, there's 613 laws. And what we've done uh, as we study the Bible is we can kind of see three categories of law. That we have a civil law, we have ceremonial law, and then we have moral law. Out of those 613, does this make sense? You have civil and ceremonial, and then you have moral. And so as we look at civil and ceremonial, here's a civil law for you, that it would, it would dictate responsibilities in society. Remember, go back to a different context. You have the nation of Israel. You don't have separation of church and state like we do. You have the nation of Israel ruled by God, and everything was intertwined. And so civil law was meant to give responsibilities and consequences in society. And so how do we interact with each other? If you do this, do you die? Or do you just have to pay it back? Like, how, how do we deal with our debt? If you're, one of them is this in Deuteronomy, if your neighbor's cattle runs off and you find them, you should bring those cattle back to their house, something you can all relate to in Arizona, right? You do that all the time. <laughs> These are civil laws that were for their specific context. Does this make sense? And then they had ceremonial laws that were for their specific context and how they related to God at that time. These would be things like sacrifices, the temple, what you needed to do before you went in the temple, who could go in certain parts of the temple. I know all the stuff that you just like love reading in your Bible. No, it's a lot of the stuff we skip over in our Bible because we're like, I don't understand this. Well, that's because you didn't live in that day. 
Right? These were ceremonial laws, civil laws that specifically applied to this context in this day. And so the question is, well, what do we follow? Well, as we look at the whole of the Bible, we follow the moral law. Why? Because that wasn't specific to that context. Right? You can just look at the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Christian Bale, right? You guys tracking with me? We look at those. Those are moral things that still apply today that aren't just contextual, that still apply today. So you have a sacrifice that's a ceremonial law in the Old Testament. We don't make sacrifices today. Just if you're new, that's not going to happen later on the altar, right? No blood is being shed. We don't do that today. Why? Because they had to do that because they had to make sacrifices to atone for sin. How is our sin atoned for today? Jesus, the cross. Right? Jesus has come to fulfill the law, and so he fulfills the atonement of sin. He covers it for us on our behalf. He's the ultimate sacrifice because he's perfect, and he fulfills the law in that way. And so as we look at civil law, ceremonial law, those things don't necessarily apply today. But as we look at moral law, there's still some good things that we should take notice of and follow. And so things like... Don't murder people, good or bad. That's a, good, that's a good law, right? Don't murder people. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't commit idolatry. Have other gods before the true and one holy God. These are, these are good principles to guide our, our lives. They haven't changed. Even though Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, we still interact with these today. And we're still supposed to keep them and teach them. That's what Jesus says. And, and maybe it'll help you understand it like this. Like, when I was growing up, I had certain rules in my house. When I lived in my parents' house. When I was under their law, right? And so there were things like a curfew. Do you guys have a curfew? You raise your hand. Curfew people? Some not curfew pe people? Okay. Who broke their curfew? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand on that one. Um, I had a curfew, right? That was the way we rolled. That was the rules that I lived under the law of my house, now, here's something amazing that happened. College students, I left my house, and I went to college, right? And I went four hours away, so my parents couldn't know if I was obeying the curfew or not, right? And so what I would do, we, my roommate and I went to college two weeks before the semester started, don't do this, um, just so we could party and have fun, right? We just found out when the dorms were open, and we moved our stuff in, and nobody else was there. And we just got to have fun because this, this was the promised land to keep it going with the Old Testament for us, right? Of just going away, no curfews, no rules of our parents' house. And so what did I do my first semester of college? I almost flunked out because I didn't obey a curfew, because I didn't study, because I didn't obey any rules. I just said, the rules are off. This is amazing. And I did whatever I wanted to do. And you know what happened? I was rolling deep with a C minus. And I had to transfer schools. So college students, don't do that. Right? Side lesson. But as I, as I did that, would it have been good for me to still follow a curfew? Some of the rules that my parents implemented when I was in high school. Yeah. Because they were good guiding principles for my life. That they were protecting me from, from pain, from danger, from sin. Right? And so the same way, just like we've graduated from our parents' house, we've graduated from high school, we've graduated from the Old Testament, we're not under law but under grace. Do you see it? There's still good things that we should obey. 
There's still good things that will keep you from harm, from pain, from sin. And if we choose to say, well, that was the law, now I'm free, liberated, and I'm just going to go have fun in life and do whatever I want, there's pain associated with that. And so Jesus is going to say, no, you're going to be great in heaven if you do and teach the law. The law is a good, good thing. The distinction is this. Listen, the distinction is that we don't earn God's favor now through the law. We experience it. And so it is by grace through faith. Everything you read in the New Testament, everything that Jesus says is true. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by his worth. Right? That's all true. But in order to experience that blessing, that favor, we should follow the law. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't have other gods before the one and true God. And so these are still good principles for us to Obey to keep and to teach today. John 5 is a good example of this. Jesus says this, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, you can't ditch the Old Testament, right? You can't say, well, I'm just going to focus on the love and the grace which, by the way, that's a misnomer because Jesus says something pretty crazy in the New Testament that I haven't come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. He calls us at one point to be his disciples and to hate our family. So if you think Old Testament is hate and judgment and hell and New Testament is love and peace, it's not. I mean, it's woven. Judgment is woven throughout scriptures. Jesus talked about hell a lot, Right? And so these, these things go together, and what Jesus is saying in John 5 is if you believe Moses, you'll believe me, because it all points to me, right? So we can't have one without the other. They work in tandem. We see that in the best way possible in love God, love neighbor. Jesus is asked to define the law. Hey, what's the law really about? What is the, the, the first and most prioritized law? And he says, love God and love neighbor, that he brings it all together. Why does he do that? Well, if you love God, you won't have idols. If you really love God, you're not going to worship other things. If you love God, you'll obey God. If you love people, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them, right? You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to abuse them. And so love God, love neighbor is the way Jesus summarizes the whole of the law that we are to keep and to teach, that it's head and it's hands, So it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And that's what he reveals in verse 20. Look at that verse with me. He says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so how do we follow the law? Is it just head and hands? Is it just like the scribes and the Pharisees where they knew the law, they had memorized it, and they knew how to live it out, Is it just us obeying and keeping the Ten Commandments because we know it's good for us and they're guardrails for us? Is it just that? No, it's not just head and hands. It's also heart. You see, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was primarily information and action, but not inclination, right? Not transformation, that they knew what to do. And so as you look at the scribes and Pharisees in your Bible, they were the religious elite, And so if some people fasted once or twice a week, they would fast every day. If some people tithed, gave of their money or of their things, 
they not only tied of their money or their things, they tied down to the very spice. So if they had cumin or parsley, they would give 10% of that. So scribes and Pharisees think religious or elite, they had the head and they had the hands down. That's why Jesus conflicted with them so much, is because he's saying, I don't just want your head and your hands, I want your heart. Right? I want the whole thing. That he didn't just want external demands, but internal delight. That's what Jesus wants in our righteousness with the law. And this makes sense because our relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. We say that in circles we, we run with, right? That it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And when we say that, what we mean is Jesus is a person, not a to-do list, right? That we interact with Jesus. He hears our voice. We can pray to him. We can talk with him. That he loves you, that you love him. It's a relationship. And just like in any relationship, just knowing some things about that person and doing some things with your hands for that person is not enough. Like I know when my wife and I got married and we did our vows with one another. Like we committed to do several things together. I committed to love her and no one else. I committed to love her and not just health, but sickness. My wife, one of her vows uh, was to, to love and appreciate and follow the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> we committed to lot, do a lot of things. Now, if we just committed to do those things because they were external demands put upon us, is that a relationship? Is that what we want from one another in a relationship? Did I want my wife, just because she knows I love the Cowboys, to say in front of a large audience, to hold her accountable, to say, like, I will always support the Cowboys? Did I just want her to say it or even do it, or did I want her to mean it in her gut? Right? I'm a big Cowboys fan. I wanted her to mean it in her gut. Right? I wanted the head, the heart, and the hands. And just like marriage in that relationship, just like in any relationship, we don't want people just meeting external demands. We want internal delight. We want you to want to do this. Jesus is after not begrudging submission. A guy named Matt Chandler says that, a pastor in Texas. He's after glad obedience. He's after the affections of your heart. He's not just after information, but inclination. He wants you to want him. Not just not have other idols because, oh, no, I mean, just, I want that money and I want that power and I want that sex because I know it's so good, but I guess, God, guess I'll tuck in my shirt and go to church. That's not it. That's religion, not relationship. And so how does your righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, what's the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It's head, it's hands. It's we know this. And we're going to do this. And in fact, Jesus, we know it better than you, and we're going to do it better than you. And he saw that their hearts weren't captured by him or God. He explains this in a really great text in Matthew 23. He gives us an example, some context on the righteousness of the Pharisees. He says this, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead. You see, as Jesus came, as he's preaching in this moment, as he's talking to a lot of Pharisees who knew the law, what he's going to say clearly is this, is I haven't come to decorate any tombs, but to deliver the dead. I'm not interested in the outside only. I'm interested in what's on the inside because it does us no good and it did the Pharisees no good to do some things outwardly that looked righteous, but on the inside to be corrupted and dying like a whitewashed tomb. 
Jesus didn't come to decorate tombs. He came to deliver the dead. And so how does our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? We don't just do some things because they're in the law. We don't just worship God because we're supposed to. We don't say no to sin because we'll get in trouble. We do those things because we love God, because we've looked at all the world has to offer, and we said, he, he's better. I, I want to pursue him. I want to run after him. And, and glad obedience will keep and teach the law, that Jesus connects our head to our heart to our hands. Do you see that? So how do we keep the law? How do we follow the law as New Testament believers? We allow it to affect our affections, our mind, our body, and all of life. But it's not removed from our affections. It involves it at every turn. And so our righteousness must exceed the scribes, the Pharisees, to enter into the kingdom of God. Galatians 3.24 says it like this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I mean, just picture that. The law was our schoolmaster, Paul says. That it educates us on what we're supposed to do and where we fail to do those things, and it convicts our heart. Right? The law is just not some guardrails to follow with your hands. It pierces your heart because you realize, I'm not perfect. This is a crushing weight. Jesus, I need you. I need my righteousness to be more than the scribes and Pharisees. I can't even do what they did. I, I need you. And so it's a schoolmaster that teaches us to come to Jesus so that we might be justified by faith. You see it elsewhere in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. And so the law leads us to faith. The law leads us to grace. That's why Jesus came. That's what he begins to unravel through his life, death, and resurrection. And so Jesus fulfills the law. We follow the law. So what does that look like? Like, what about this situation? Maybe that's what some of you are thinking. Like, what about these specific things? What does this look like? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Because, again, we're in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. This is a full-on sermon, and we're just taking it chunk by chunk. And so he's going to begin as a great, great preacher. He's going to begin to explain to us, hey, you probably thought about thou shalt not murder. What does that look like? Well, he's going to say, it's a little bit deeper than that. It goes to your heart. It's about anger. He's going to say, don't commit adultery. You've heard it said, said that. I'm going to say, if you lust after another woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. See, Jesus is going to take the, the head and the hands, and he's going to bring the heart back into the equation. This sets the stage for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. How do we follow the law? How does it lead us to Jesus? And maybe some of you, that's a lot, just so you know. That's a lot for anybody. Theologians have been trying to figure this stuff out for, since the beginning of time. Right, as, I, as I read this and studied, I looked at one commentator, and he just started off and said, this is perhaps the most complicated passage in the Bible. And I just said, great. That's awesome. So it, it's complex. And listen, you need to read through it, ask more questions, come back over the next few weeks as Jesus plays this out and what this looks like. But it ultimately comes down to this, and this frames up everything for us, is you have to decide today, do you trust Jesus? Right? As Jesus says some really profound things, 
some really complex things that you have to decide this morning, do you trust Jesus? C.S. Lewis put it this way, that he said, you either see Jesus as a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You either see him as a liar. So you look at some of these things and you say, Jesus, I don't, I don't think that's true. You're a liar. Or you look at some of these things and, Jesus, I think you're a lunatic, right? I think you're crazy. Like, you said you're God. And if you aren't, you're crazy. And he, and he was. If that's true, he, he, was the, the, he should be in a psychiatric ward, right? If he said all these things, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, but he's not, he's not just a liar. He's a lunatic, or we look at the life, the words, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and we see he's Lord. That he was there at the beginning when the law was created, at creation, that he's sustaining everything by the power of his word, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again to give us new life in him. And it's not based on just our external actions. He, he transforms our entire heart. That we either believe Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Which one do you believe? Because that's going to shape everything that we look at for the rest of this passage. That's going to shape whether you come to God's word and you already are skeptical and thinking of the reasons why you're not going to believe this and you're not going to follow this and somebody has to convince you versus you're coming to it and saying, God, I want to submit to you, Jesus. You are Lord of my life. You wrote the Bible. I'm going to listen to your words and I'm going to apply them to my life. So where are you at this morning? We're going to go on a journey the next few weeks to better understand this, but you have to start with Jesus as Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for these next few weeks as we dive into further what the law looks like and how you fulfill it and all these different specific situations in our lives. God, that you would give us understanding. You would give us understanding of the full meaning and intent behind the law and how we should interact with it and how we should follow it and how we should do that as people who follow ultimately you. And God, I pray that where we do have doubt or there are complex things, God, we would lean in, not step out of the faith. We would lean into you as Lord, that you are gracious and truthful and you want us to, to see that intersect in our head, heart, and hands as we understand your word and live it out. God, help us. Help us to do that. Help us to do that even now as we respond in worship, to see you as Lord, to worship you that way, that, that you love us so much that you would give us a law that you would fulfill on our behalf so we could worship you and obey you with glad, glad hearts. May that be true of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.